for joining us on this episode of Candid Conversations from Woofs to Wiggles. Today we're speaking with Michelle Stern, the owner and founder of Pooch Parenting. Michelle is not just a family dog mediator, a certified dog behavior counselor, trainer, fear-free professional and dog foster mom. She was also a teacher for 16 years. Michelle is with us and she is ready to discuss everything related to chokes. So without much ado, let's welcome Michelle. Hi, Michelle. Thank you for being here. You share your background and expertise in the field of dogs in homes with young children, including what led you to becoming passionate about this topic? Yes. So first and foremost, I'm a mother. And so I understand what it's like to live with kids and dogs and navigate the potential chaos that comes with the two. Um, I was a former high school teacher for eight years. I also founded and ran a cooking school for children for eight years. And I started with kids as young as two in the kitchen. Um, And it's kind of interesting because what I realized is working with children and sharp objects and children and cooking and hot things is a lot like kids and puppies. So that's just a kind of fun comparison. Um, But I always loved animals and and I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And so I've worked with animals my whole life. Um, Then organic chemistry sort of weeded me out as it does so many people in college, um, which is what led me down the teaching biology path, because then I could share my enthusiasm of different topics about animals and the environment with others. Um, But as an adult, I got rekindled with my childhood mentor, who was the behavior specialist at the shelter where I volunteered and took her whole series of behavior classes and went through her program and certification program to become a dog behavior consultant. And what I realized in the process of becoming a dog behavior consultant is how few dog professionals have really solid super people skills and how few dog people really understood kids because a lot of dog folks are afraid of kids. And so naturally when a client comes to them and says, I'm nervous about these things like family dynamics, um, they don't have any personal experience to draw from to support regular daily activities like what do you do with your dogs and kids during bath time? Like who goes where and how do I fold laundry in? How do I make meals? And so I realized that that was a niche that was unfilled by people who really had very warm people skills, but also very compassionate dog skills as well. Fantastic. I know working as a nanny, sometimes there are dogs in the home And the dogs maybe have been there before the children arrived. And so the dogs are kind of feeling like they're not loved anymore. Yeah. (laughs) So there's that dynamic as well. Um, What are some considerations that parents and nannies uh, should make when introducing a new dog into a household or a new baby into the household (laughs) so that everything can remain safe and there can be a harmonious relationship? Yes. Well, I could talk about those two topics for (laughs) days and days. So um, I'm going to have to make that simple. I I think there is a different answer Mm -hmm. if you're introducing a baby to a household that already has a child. I mean, a dog. If you're bringing home a baby to a house with a dog, 
that is a very different situation than bringing home a dog to a family who already has kids. Um, and I think that the people you work with are dealing with both of those sets of circumstances. Yes. So in many cases, a family might be hiring a nanny and going through the process before the baby is born. And that's when I love to work with clients also, because I feel like we can really do so much groundwork ahead of time um, to make sure that we're setting everyone up for success. So if that was the case and your students and listeners um, are helping a family and getting to know each other before the baby even comes home, I would encourage them very much to talk to the family about all of the things that they could be doing to prepare their dog for this big transition. Not only does the dog now have to get used to the nanny who may be living with them, may not be, but in all likelihood, it's possible. That's a big transition for a dog. So you have a new human in the home, an adult, and then you end up with a baby in the home and babies have very unpredictable routines and they cry a lot for a variety of reasons, all of which are very developmentally appropriate. And so that can be very stressful for some dogs, especially if the dog is sensitive or fearful or anxious. That happens a lot. Sometimes you have a dog that's overly confident and parents don't necessarily exercise the type of caution that they should be exercising with the dog and baby. The baby is so tender and fragile and vulnerable. And sometimes parents think perhaps because of what they've seen on Instagram, which by the way, most of that's very dangerous stuff, um, that they should just let the dog come over and sniff the baby. But I don't love the idea of the sharp end of the dog being close to the vulnerable end of the baby. I don't really yes. advise that. Um, so whether or not your nannies talk to these people about bringing in a resource like me or whether nannies work with me directly so that I can really coach them or whatever, I, I just, I do want families who are bringing babies home to existing dogs to really understand there's a lot they can do to get their dog ready for this ahead of time, including buying equipment to keep everyone safe, such as baby gates and pens and things of that nature. Now, the other question you asked, um, which is how do you prepare the family if you're bringing home a dog to a family that already has kids? So what you might want to do families, it's very common for a family to say, oh, you know, we're going to get a puppy. And then, you know, the dog and, and kids will grow up together and everybody's going to be best friends. And it's great. And I, and I agree. I do think that's a wonderful premise, but I do think that a lot of families are wearing rose colored glasses about what it's really like to live with a puppy. It, they introduce mayhem to a household. And I say this with absolute love because I love puppies more than most people, um, but they come with a ton of work. So it's almost like having an extra child or two um, who don't learn to speak the same language as you because, you know, there's the whole different species thing going on. Um, but it, it's, it becomes quite difficult. So it also depends on the age that the children are when the dog is introduced. Really little kids under the age of five have trouble following directions. They often want to hug and squeeze and cuddle the puppy because it's so cute and it looks like they're stuffed animals. But puppies don't usually like being restrained. They don't like the lack of consent. And often to protect themselves, they bite. So we need to really help parents with appropriate age-appropriate expectations of what their kids should be doing, what the dog should be doing. And if kids aren't capable developmentally of doing the right things, then we need to implement management 
same as before with baby gates and pens and things like that, so that we prevent the kids from making very regular, normal mistakes, right? Older kids tend to be better. Um, I tend to recommend that families don't even get a dog until the kids are older than six, um, just for peace of mind purposes and the kids are more capable of following directions. And I also just want to acknowledge the challenge that many nannies face. And I, I see you, see you <laughs> nannies, that a lot of responsibility is put on you. And whether or not that's appropriate or not, that's not my place to say, but I do want to just empathize with you that it's very hard for you to ensure that the kids and dog are safe unless you've been trained with some of the things that I know how to recognize signs of stress in dogs, how to know what kids are developmentally capable of doing certain things. Mm -hmm. These are really a lot for people. There are a lot of expectations um, placed on caregivers uh, to keep yeah. everyone safe without a lot of preparation, unfortunately, ahead of time yes. usually. Well, thank you for saying that. Now, you've brought up something and I, I thought I'd just ask, is it easier to introduce a puppy to a family or an older dog? Because obviously everybody wants a puppy, but there are so many dogs in shelters that maybe are older that would love to be in a home. So yes. is, is it easy? Is there an easier or harder age of animals? It, I have to give the horrible answer of it depends, right? It really does depend on the experience level of all family members, nanny included. Um, some people really are uncomfortable around puppies. If you have grandparents in the home a lot who are fragile or who have frail skin, puppies literally tear them open, not because they're mean or inappropriate. That's just puppies mm -hmm. bite the way that babies teeth on things. Puppies yes. bite. That's very normal. Um, some adult dogs who love children, you need to choose a dog that absolutely loves the kids. Maybe that goes to say hi to the kids before it goes to say hi to the adults. Mm -hmm. um, that's the kind of dog you would choose to bring into a family if you were choosing an adult dog. The benefit of getting an adult dog is that you know what you're getting because they have gone past what we call social maturity. They are who they are. And so it's quite clear what you're getting. Now, I have to say though, if the dog has been in the shelter, it's probably been under some stress and you won't really see who the dog truly is for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. So fostering is a great way to, to figure that out. And I also want to acknowledge that the types of clients that you are all working with may choose to go with a breeder because yep. they think that's the status quo. They think that's what they need to do or whatever, because then they think they can get what they want. And in many cases that's true. But again, which breeder they choose is very important on the result that they get. So not all breeders are created equal. I love a good breeder, nothing better than a good breeder, but um, unless you know what to look for, red flags, et cetera, there's a lot of sneaky mm -hmm. conniving things online that you might be getting a puppy from a puppy mill that has a great website and it looks great, but it's not. So, you know, working with someone who can help guide where the puppy is coming from, even what type of shelter or rescue the dog is coming from, I, done, I do think makes a difference for success. Thank you. And what are some signs that a dog may not be comfortable or might be stressed around young children? And what steps can parents and nannies take to address those 
concerns and that anxiety that the that's dog- a great question and i'm going to show you this book because this is one of my favorite books of all time it's called doggy language okay. and i keep it here on my desk because i show it to so many of my clients this book is a cartoon book mm-hmm. which makes it relatable to people of all ages but it demonstrates the different types of body signals that dogs give when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're stressed, when they're scared, when they're feeling aggressive, when they're defensive. Um, And so for example, I'm gonna just open it to a, okay, to a random page. Now, a lot of people mistakenly believe that a dog who's wagging his tail is happy, Mm -hmm. period, end of story. But as you would guess, it's much more subtle than that. And there's different types of wags. So unless you really become familiar with how to interpret dog body language, you may interpret arousal or stress as happiness, Mm. in which case you wouldn't intervene or help the dog. If the child was playing with a noisy toy that was causing stress, you wouldn't step in and say, hey, let's play with the toy over here instead. Right. So intervening is really good. But here is an example Mm -hmm. of the dog. Um, these are different tail wags and they mean different things. Mm -hmm. And this book really clearly discusses that. And this is a really fun book. I encourage families to keep it at the dinner table and to pass it around and talk about it. Um, But there are a few common signals that, that I think are misunderstood. And, and I'm going to just list maybe four of them that I think are really important to understand. Number one is if a dog looks away, it's, it's uncomfortable with something that's going on over here. If it looks away, it's trying to say, I don't want to be a part of that. Okay. Sometimes you see the whites around their eyes. That's called whale eye. It's a sign of stress. So that's something, if you notice the dog's eyes go wide, you need to step in. Generally, I don't move the dog away. Generally, I move the child away Mm because it's usually, let's be honest, it's usually the kid doing something that's making the dog uncomfortable. Um, Sometimes if the dog yawns mm-hmm. or if they flick their tongue like this, when they haven't been drinking or eating, it's these tongue flicks. Those are also signs of stress or worry. And those things can often happen if a child is running too close. If the child is carrying a noisy toy that the dog is unfamiliar with, you may see them look away. You may see them yawn. If you notice those things, which you should begin to over time, then you can step in and say, oh kiddo, let's go over here and we'll play with our toy over here. Or, oh, let me let me get the dog outside so they can get some space or whatever it is that you choose to do. But we need to help those dogs because we call those whispers. So in the dog language world, those are whispers. The dog is asking for some support. Mm-hmm. And if we don't address the whispers, then the dog escalates. That often becomes a growl, which we never want to punish a growl. Because a dog growling is a good thing. They're telling us they need help. And if we ignore the growl, then they will bite. And usually that does not happen without a lot of warning signals that people miss quite often. Bites generally, 90% of the time, do not come out of nowhere. The dog might be in pain. The dog might be stressed. The dog might be sick. The dog might be cranky. Whatever the reason is they generally let you know before they bite. And so bites are typically avoidable. Mm-hmm. Okay. And are there specific dog breeds or temperaments that are better suited for homes with young children? And what should parents and nannies know when selecting a family dog? I think you've answered part of that question already, 
but there might be other things that, you know, you can share. with. Oh, them. yes. I love this topic. This is really fun. So I'm going to start by saying that it's harder to categorize and say, all golden retrievers are good with kids. We need to remember, just like the kids that we all work with, that individual differences are common and that um, there's a, a, a gamut of experiences behaviorally that you may experience within any certain breed. Um, but typically, dogs like Labradors or Spaniels or... Um, I'm trying to think my dog might bark in a second. Right. I apologize in advance. Um, but what we call, we call these gun dogs. So pointers, Labradors, retrievers, and spaniels are bred to really work with people, to be helpful to people, to be right alongside people in, in their work. Those dogs tend to be good family dogs. Okay. I would not look for any of those dogs that are field bred because if you get a field bred lab or a field bred golden, for example, you're getting a dog that was bred to work and go retrieve ducks or whatever. And these are dogs that have a much higher energy level mm -hmm. than a dog that you would probably want living in your house with kids, especially okay. if you're too busy for adequate exercise. Um, also size of the dog that you're looking for really matters. And so if you want a small dog. I love the Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, for example. They tend to be very sweet. They're nice dogs, great calm temperament. Um, they can have a little bit of separation anxiety because they were bred to be companion dogs. That's nice Pippin. Aww, That's nice. my little guy. He's a border terrier. Aww. Terriers are a lot. Um, I love them. I think of all the terriers, this is a good one. Um, less nuclear reactor level of energy. I would not recommend something like a Jack Russell Terrier at all for a family I, with kids. They're just- I, I used to have a Jack Russell. Oof, they're like, a lot. Yeah. yeah, they're wonderful, but most people don't know what to do with all that energy. Um, oh, there you go. Good job. Um, so, so there are a variety of breeds. There are other breeds, smaller dogs, like the Havanese is a wonderful, sweet dog. They also don't shed. Um, they, they tend to be really wonderful companion dogs. Even Shih Tzus are wonderful family dogs. People overlook them. They think, oh, that's like a little old lady dog, but really they're really fun, sweet, gentle dogs. Generally, again, these are blanket statements. Okay. Um, I did have a client who had a an aggressive golden retriever puppy. And I think the dog was wired wrong. There was something going on, um, but the dog was abnormally aggressive. Um, and it was really sad because they thought they had done the right research and got a breed that they thought was supposed to be with kids. But um, that's another great example of why you really want to vet the breeders. I mean, accidents can happen even with the best breeders, but that breeder will take the dog back and will give you another dog. Mm -hmm. um, which is still heartbreaking, I realize, but it a good breeder stands by their dogs um, yes. and does what's needed. So, um, so in general, there there are a, a lot of dogs. Some people really like Bernese Mountain Dogs, for example. They're gigantic. Yes. Uh, be prepared for drool and a lot of shedding. <laughs> um, yeah. So there there are lots of different kinds of dogs, but again, I would I, I think you need to be really specific. And there's some quizzes online and some additional resources that I can share with you to help you kind of pick 
the type, the category of dog that you're looking for. Um, and once you narrow that down, um, you know, because some dogs are going to take more time and energy than others. Some dogs are going to require a lot more grooming, um, you know, professional grooming than others. Um, you know, every four to six weeks, for example, you have to take them to the groomers and, um, for your clients that the cost of that may be insignificant, but it is very significant for some people. Okay. Fantastic. And should they hopefully never, but in a dog related incident or injury that involves a child, what immediate actions should parents and nannies take or be aware of? Um, and, and how can they prevent these incidents? I know you've already mentioned, you know, the, the tail and the yawning and the eyes, but are there, mm-hmm. other, you know, other tips and tricks that you could share with us? Yeah. I mean, so I think it's going to depend on your dog. So if you have a dog before you have children and your dog has a history of biting people, Mm -hmm. um, then you need to go in with your eyes wide open that that is a possibility that that could happen again. And you need to decide, you know, do I want to have children while this dog still is alive or should this dog go live somewhere else? If I, if you find yourself expecting. Um, so sometimes hard decisions have to be made. Um, usually aggression doesn't come out of nowhere. So again, learning to understand body language is important, but accidents can happen. A toddler can run a toy truck over a dog's tail and the dog turns around and bites the kid because they were in pain, or maybe your perfect, wonderful dog is now 10 years old and has arthritis and the toddler tries to pull up to a stand position by holding on to the dog's hips and the dog is in pain and turns around and bites a child. So there's a million different reasons why a dog could bite someone. It doesn't mean they're a bad dog and it doesn't mean that they're going to be aggressive to all the play dates that come over and you can't ever host a birthday party again or none of those things are necessarily true. Um, But again, I think management is really important and most people don't employ enough management such as baby gates or pens and they should and so if there are circumstances like let's say the dog has a special bone and the dog doesn't want to share that bone with anyone either another dog or the child or the nanny and so that dog should have that bone enclosed somewhere where no one can bother the dog because there should be no reason anyone should be taking things away from the dog in those circumstances, because that could result in a bite. So um, I know that a common objection to using pens and baby gates in beautifully designed high-end homes, um, there are objections such as, you know, it doesn't go with my decor, or I don't like how it looks or whatever. And that's very common. And I don't want to dismiss that because it's a valid concern if you have a beautiful home. Um, but I think there are ways to do things where you prevent access from the kids to the dog and vice versa that have to happen sometimes. And maybe you end up with something that's retractable. So you don't see it all the time and it rolls away into almost nothing. Um, but I do think that we have to help parents who care deeply about how their house looks, understand the stakes if they don't employ strategies like that and remind them that this is temporary, that, this is just for a few years until we all learn how to be polite and respectful around each other. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then you don't have to use those anymore. But you also have to remember that maybe you're going to host a child at your house who's afraid of dogs. Yes. Or you're going to have a birthday party and the kids are going to be running around crazy, running and playing and screaming. And for some dogs, that's a really tough environment. And it for some dogs... Oh, excuse me. My watch talked. Um, for some dogs, a daycare is not an option. They're mm-hmm. maybe too fearful or they're aggressive with other dogs. So yeah. you can't just ship your dog off when no. you bring kids in. You do need to create safe places for those dogs to be. Um, so I do think that that deals with bites quite well. Um, in the immediate situation, separation right away, make sure there's no more contact, deal with the wounds that are happening. Um in some cases, bites are quite superficial. There, there's like a scrape where a tooth scrapes the skin. You may not take a dog to a uh, the child to a hospital or a doctor for something like that. Um, but typically, if somebody does have to go to a doctor or hospital, that that is reported, and you do need to know that it's possible that the dog will now have a record, um, and you know could be put in a quarantine type of situation. And also, the other thing to think about and I have to say this, is with the clientele that you work with, there could be some litigious situations um, because that could be how they choose to deal with things. And so you need to be really careful at making sure they understand the liability. If they know their dog has bitten a child in the past and they still have other kids over to the house without employing a lot of management strategies, they're opening themselves up to getting sued or potentially losing their homeowner's insurance, et cetera. Okay. Well, thank you very much. So if you had three tips to anyone who wanted to have a dog, but had children in the home, what would they be? Hmm. Okay. So I would say don't rush and pick something just because it's cute and it's available. Mm-hmm. I think you need to be really thoughtful and you need to choose something that if you already have kids that loves your kids, you don't want the shy one. You don't want the one hiding in the back because you're going to save it. You need a confident dog that loves your children. So I would start with with choosing the right dog and working with someone like me or another professional to help you choose. We love to do that. It's like a, the greatest gift to help a family. So that would be one. Number two, use management strategies. They are lifesavers. They prevent kids from making mistakes and they prevent dogs from making mistakes. I think that is really, really important. And I think the final one would be to get familiar with, you know, dog body language and and a book like this really, really helps because then there may be things that are triggering your dog that you don't you would never have imagined. Why would a balloon scare my dog? It's just a balloon, but to the dog, maybe it represents something else. Yes. Um, and so being able to recognize when the individual is is stressed out um, or needs support so that you can offer that. Fantastic. And if our viewers and listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you? I'll be they can find me a couple. Yes, we'll do links. Um, they can find me a few ways. The best way is through my website, which is poochparenting.net. I'm also Pooch Parenting on both Instagram and Facebook. I have two different podcasts. One of them is an ongoing podcast. It's called the Pooch Parenting Podcast. And the other is just a very short, limited edition podcast series called Parenting Kids and Dogs 101, 
Each episode is just 10 minutes and there are 15 episodes um, and they cover a variety of topics that relate to living with kids and dogs. Nannies would find it helpful also. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for answering all of my questions. And I'm sure that it's been very, very helpful to me. So I'm sure it's so. very helpful to everybody else. Great. I hope so. I look forward to hearing from you all. Thank you.